Wow, I have to say that's one of the worst introductions I've ever experienced in my entire life. Thank you, Beryl Martin, for that. That was, that was really amazing. Somehow my chair got lost, so I'm going to be standing the entire time. It's going to be weird for me. It's going to be weird for you. Hey, guys, I want to welcome those of you who are here live, those of you who are tuning in or will tune in in our Branchville campus. I, I am overcome to express to you, and I don't know how, how much we do love you, how much we do appreciate you. Uh, one of our great members grabbed me in the hallway and said, remember today you're preaching to hurting people, and I'm like, it's just been a rough year, hasn't it? I, I, I'm not going to tell you how I am because, oh my gosh, it's old, but I've never experienced 2020. I'm not even going to set my clock back because I don't want an extra hour in this year. <laughs> so guys, I get it. it. It's been rough, but we want to welcome you. We're starting, at Daryl said, a whole new series called Relational Vampires, and it's very fitting, I, and I think Daryl knows this, that I should start this because probably out of everybody in our church, I have the most understanding of vampires. At least Hollywood vampires. See, I've said this before. My mom was a horror movie nut. And while I don't recommend letting your children watch these movies, I have grown up with the greatest vampires of all time. From Bella Lugosi to Christopher Lee, from Barnabas Collins on Dark Shadows. Anybody old enough to remember that? Just a few hands out there. I've watched Kiefer Sutherland and the Lost Boys, and, and yes, even Buffy the Vampire Slayer in good old Sunnydale, California. And there are some things that I have learned about vampires. They seduce people. They cultivate relationships, and often they take advantage of those relationships. Hollywood vampires will drain your blood, but relational vampires drain the very life out of you. And most of us, if not all of us, know some people like that. Now listen, I don't mean they actually drain your blood, although if they, if they do, I recommend you call 911. That is, that's never right. See, there are no actual Count Dracula-style vampires, are there? But there are indeed relational vampires, what I like to call EGRs, extra grace required people. Those who seem to be a little bit difficult to love, they, they take a little bit more than they give, and, and they want to exercise control over. So in this series, we want to help you and we want to help us. We are hurting people. We want to help us define the relationships that might be sucking the very life out of you. We want to dig into ways to, to, to find appropriate and loving ways to deal with that. Our subject this morning is, in relational vampires, is those who control. But there are those who control. There are, we're going to talk about those who are overly critical we're talking about those who are always seem to be in need. And finally, those who are kind of just hypercritical of everything you do. They, they claim to live by the word of God, but they really don't. Now, let me say from the beginning, these relationships may not need to be terminated. Although in some cases, they might. They might just be relationships that need to be redefined. There might need to be boundaries drawn or new parameters. Well, let me pray and let's start digging into the Word of God and see, see what he has to say about this. Father, we love you. I don't have anything to say, Dad. I just don't. Uh, but I, I'm praying wholeheartedly that you, the Holy Spirit, the power of God would speak through me, that, that we would hear, that I would hear what you have to say. Uh, Father, there are hurting people. We're relational people. We're in relationships. And Father, we need... 
your wisdom on how to deal with those. So we invite you. We ask you to come to preach, to teach this morning. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We are called, commanded, even, even compelled to love the world around us, aren't we? There, there's perhaps nothing more significant to God than how you and I deal with relationships. Our, arguably the most quoted verse and a well-known verse in all the Bible is John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It, it's the pivotal verse of the New Testament. It, 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 it defines the extent and the intensity of God's love for you and for me and for every person in the world. He absolutely loves us. And God demonstrated the intensity of that love by allowing Jesus Christ, his son, to come to this earth to lead a perfect life and to die to pay for everything you and I have ever done wrong. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it this way. Verse 21, For God made Christ, who had never sinned, to be, the offering, to be the offering of our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So Jesus makes this, this trade at the cross. I accept him as my Lord and Savior, and in turn, he takes upon all my sin. The Bible could not be more clear. And here's the deal from the very beginning. God expects you and me to turn around and love the world and the people in it the exact way that he does. There's John 3.16, but it's followed up by Matthew 22 and Mark chapter 12. Perhaps the second greatest passage is known in the Bible. Matthew and Mark, uh, Matthew personally knew Jesus. He was Christ's own disciple. Uh, uh, Mark was Peter's disciple. He knew intimately of Christ. Both wrote shortly after Christ left the earth more than 2,000 years ago. And they recorded the works and the words of Jesus. And when somebody walked up to Jesus and said, you're so intelligent. You're so brilliant. We love the words that flow from you. Tell us what the greatest commandment is. We know what Jesus said. He said this. The most important one answer Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than thee. There is perhaps nothing more significant to God than how you and I deal with relationships. In every and all situations, we're to love the world around us, to do all that we can, to lead the lost to Christ, to do all that we can, not only to do that, but to restore people. And that's where we get bogged down. That's where we, we find ourselves in very unhealthy relationships sometimes, and we're, we're not sure what to do because we want to love people who are no... We're called to do that. But that doesn't mean that all of our relationships will be healthy. And it certainly doesn't mean that we have to tolerate inappropriate or destructive behavior. In fact, tolerating bad and destructive behavior might actually be the opposite of helping to restore someone to all they're created to be. This week, we're going to be talking about the relational vampire called controlling people. People who want us to do what they think we should do, to live our lives according to their will or what they think is right or wrong. They tend to put their needs or wants far above ours. Sometimes these people are very sincere. They, they honestly think that if we did life their way, our lives would be easier or better. Do you know anybody like that? Sometimes they're manipulating our lives to get what they want. Either way, they're overstepping their boundaries on on how we should live or do our life. 
Let me, let me give you a tiny example. I remember when one of my former students in Louisville was getting married. Now, this young man was in his early 20s, and his mom and dad were going to pay for his honeymoon. Now, his dad is one of my best friends, so I am honestly hoping that he is not watching this sermon today because he's the bad guy in the illustration. When this young man's dad found out that prior, prior to his wedding, he was going to tattoo his wife's name to his arm, his dad had a fit. He said, if you get a tattoo then I am not paying for the honeymoon. And folks, it was a nice beach honeymoon. I wanted to go with them. Now, this dad is one of the most loving and, and, and generous men I know. But whether you agree with tattoos or not, at least in this situation, that's a little bit controlling. This young man's in his 20s. He's getting married. He just graduated from college. He doesn't need to be controlled. Perhaps you've had bosses that seem to have stepped well over their boundaries. You, they may say, my way or the highway. Uh, or despite always meeting or exceeding performance goals, you live with this constant threat of losing your job or seeing the wrong thing that might make them blow up. That's controlling. Maybe your controlling person is a boyfriend or a girlfriend that demands certain actions or even sexual favors. And if you don't deliver, then they're out. You live in fear of the breakup. Maybe it's a, a parent, now grandparent, that constantly wants to give you advice on how to raise your children. I personally did not want to put that example in there, but my daughter thought it was a good one. <laughs> she, she's so controlling. See, the controlling person utilizes two main weapons, threats and guilt. If you don't give me what I want or do what I want, then it's going to cost you. I'll break up with you. I'll fire you. I'll lower your pay. I, I won't pay for the honeymoon. It could be the spouse who withholds affection or gives you the silent treatment until they believe you've learned your lesson. That's, that's controlling. The controller may guilt you by saying things like, if you love me, you'd... Perhaps they say, when you don't call me back right away, it makes me really sad. Or if you don't change your ways, I'm going to, or, or what you post, I'm going to unfollow you on Instagram or unfriend you. We all know controlling vampires, but how do we deal with them? Again, we're, our, our greatest call is to love people, to love God, love others, and to restore. So how do we deal with him? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn with me in your Bible app or on your Bible or just look at the screen to, to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus is ending, is nearing the end of his ministry. He's walking with the boys. He's walking with the disciples. Uh, Matthew 16 verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Well, Jesus is nearing the end of his time on this earth, and he's defining his mission, and actually the end of his mission to the disciples. And I love the phrase in verse 21. Jesus said, the Bible says it was necessary for him to go. We all know that the ultimate sacrifice was to die on the cross to pay for all of our sins. 
The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We can pay for our own sins by being separated from eternity with God, or we can accept the payment that he made in the cross. Remember our verse earlier, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now, enter the control freak. At least in this situation, enter Peter. I sometimes lovingly refer to him as Daryl, but that's a whole other Matthew chapter 16, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Now, don't miss the comedy in this verse. Peter began to reprimand him. Hey, I know you're God in the flesh. I, I know you calm storms. I know you walk on water. I know you feed 5,000 people with absolutely no food. But let me tell you where you're blowing it. Know anybody like that? Self-proclaimed experts. Controlling people, are, they, they, they're self-proclaimed. They can, they, they can put in when they should shut up. Let me give you a prime example. My son-in-law, Donald, is an excellent mechanic. He has fixed everything in our house from our cars to our stove to our water heater. A few days ago, he was working on one of his cars in the driveway. Isn't it funny how mechanics always have three cars, but only one of them's running? <laughs> he was buried deep in the engine, and I walked by him, and I said, I think it's the carburetor. I don't even know what a carburetor is. And I love it when he tries to explain it to him because I have to look like I know what he's talking about. But as a man, I felt I needed to interject something. I fully realized that Peter had the best intentions. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. In his defense, and sometimes the defense of the controller, he didn't want to give, he didn't want Jesus to go anywhere. Sometimes you're, the controller will say, don't do that because they're literally concerned that it might hurt you. Don't do that because they're concerned it might hurt them. He didn't want his friend to suffer. And in all honesty, Peter had given up his livelihood as a fisherman to follow Jesus. Jesus was his friend, but he was also his meal ticket, his job. Whatever the reasons, good or bad, the controller will attempt to redefine your purpose in a given situation. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I think. If you don't, then look at Christ's response. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. And Peter was arguably Christ's best friend. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Peter, you don't get it. Peter in no way swayed Christ's decision. Jesus didn't have to stop and think, man, maybe Peter's right. Maybe I need to rethink this whole cross thing. Can you imagine if he had? Allow me to give you a few suggestions on how to love but overcome the controllers in your life. Number one, and I think most important, know what you're called to do. Jesus was very clear about his mission, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. John 10.10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life. Remember what he said to Peter? 
and I'm going to be killed. Luke 22, verse 22, for it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. Jesus clearly defined his mission. He knew what he was all about. And if you clearly know your mission, it's going to be really hard for somebody else to change that mission, to tell you what you're supposed to be doing. He had come to live a perfect life. So that, so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice for us since Jesus was born to die and neither Peter nor anyone else could or would change his mind. If you define your purpose in any given situation, then it will be very hard for someone else to control you, to change you or deceive you. If you're a spouse and you are called to love your husband or wife above all others, you're called to that person and no other. You're, you're called to, pro, to provide love and cherish. And anyone who puts forth a different agenda must be rejected. If you're a parent, you are clearly called to love and nurture your children. They come before your job, your sports, or your addiction to social media. Quality and consistent time with your family is a non-negotiable. If you have set that standard, no one and no thing can move you from it. If you have a job, then know your responsibilities to your employer and work to the best of your ability. I remember one time I was going to go work for this church many, many, many years ago. But I said to them, listen, let me tell you something. My family is going, it's going to be God, family, and then church. That's going to be my number one priority. And they didn't hire me. And, and that's the greatest thing that could have happened to me because I, 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 my priorities, my standards are unmovable. If you have a job, know your responsibilities and work hard at it. If you don't live in a world of ambiguity then you will live in a word of, world of clarity. You'll know when to say yes and when to say no. You're, you'll be unswayable. That is actually a word I looked it up. <laughs> My son Josh lives in L.A. Let me give you an example. He's, been, he's actively seeking to be on the L.A. Police Department. I have no idea why. And he's had many setbacks. He had a curve in his spine, and so they said, you got to fix that. So he went to the gym. He went to a chiropractor at great expense. He straightened up his back, got a personal trainer. He has asthma, and sometimes he's on an inhaler, and the doctor told him that he'd have to get rid of the inhaler. He couldn't have to carry an inhaler to be on the L.A. Police Department. So he started going to, to doctors, and apparently there's some chemical in your lungs that if they give you shots, they can help it to where you don't have to carry a, an inhaler. And so he did that. He called me a couple days ago and said, Dad, I went back. I've gained a lot of muscle, lost a lot of weight, but I'm eight pounds over. i got to lose eight more pounds. Listen, he has done so many things to achieve his goal, but he is not going to give up that dream. No matter how much his mother and I beg him to. Listen, if you hold firm, if you know what you're called to do, nobody can move you. You, that is your greatest defense against the controller. What are you personally called to do or be? What are your non-negotiables in life and in relationships? Are you called to college? Then finish it. Has God called you to the mission field? Maybe it was years ago, but let me tell you something about God. He doesn't change his mind. If you're called to the ministry, then don't let anybody take that away from you. We're all called to seek and save the lost. There's one thing that every controlling person has in common. Every controlling person has someone who allows it. 
Jesus had clearly defined his mission in all aspects of his life. Have you? Which leads me to the second key in guarding yourself against being controlled. Know when somebody is trying to control you. Understand some of the aspects of a situation in which someone is attempting to take over your life. Peter took Jesus aside, the Bible says. Often the controller will want to isolate you. just had a long conversation with a dear friend of mine who we realized that we, in a certain situation, had been isolated from one another because the controller didn't want us comparing notes. They don't want anyone else to know what they're doing or the demands they're making. It's easier to impose your will if no one else is listening or able to interrupt or interrupt or interject. Peter rejected the mission that Christ had set for himself and put in his own mission. The controller isn't interested in what you want as much as what they want. Look for those signs in your own relationship. Someone isolating you from the crowd, asking you to do things you don't want to do. Does it seem like they have their own agenda? Maybe they just don't understand your unwavering commitment. Be aware when it seems like someone is trying to call you away from what God has clearly called you to do. Or or, or the needs of your spouse and your children. You may need to go home at 5 o'clock, whether you're supposed, whether your boss says you got to stay or not. You might need to say no. Uh, Be aware when someone's trying to call you away from a dream that you truly believe is your destiny. See, Peter wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't malicious. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. He, he didn't understand God's full plan. And Christ did not end their friendship or alienate people, Peter from his life. He simply powerfully corrected him. He let Peter know that he had overstepped his boundaries, and it wasn't okay. If step one and two don't work, you may need to move on to step three, which is know when it's time to draw a line in the sand. Every controlling person has someone who allows it. Be aware. Know when somebody's trying to control you and let them know while you love them and maybe even respect them, it's not okay. You don't have to, but if you feel like it, you may want to divine your mission to them. This is my lane. This is my goal. This is my destination. They simply may not understand where you're headed. Suppose Jesus had said, okay, if Jesus needed Peter's approval, uh, if Jesus didn't want to offend Peter, didn't want to be unfriended, didn't want to lose one of his biggest supporters. Suppose Jesus had been codependent, changed his mission, then we wouldn't be saved. It's up to you and me to know when to say enough is enough. Enough to the in-law who's trying to control your marriage. The spouse who takes advantage of you by making demands that leave you feeling used or like a victim. The person who drives you crazy with constant demands or belittling comments. It may be time to draw a line in the sand and say, enough. What you tolerate is completely up to you. Remember Christ's words to Peter, Matthew 16. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, saying, you are a dangerous trapped to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. See, Jesus opened his mouth and clearly drew a line. Your mission is not my mission. Your advice is a trap to me. Let me give you just a couple of takeaways uh, or thoughts to help you figure this all out. Number one, relationships are a combination of what you have created and what you have allowed. 
We, we create healthy patterns. We allow unhealthy ones. Peter, Jesus let Peter know that, that his control was unacceptable. What you tolerate is completely up to you. What I tolerate is up to me. Perhaps you, you stay in a bad relationship or a wrong pattern because you believe you're the only one who can change a person. Let me give you one I see all the time. The parent who has to watch their child go through the pain of addiction, their adult child. You allow them to control every aspect of your life in hopes that on the thousands try, they'll actually change. You know you need to draw a line in the sand and say no more. They may need to let that son or daughter know that your addiction is no longer our addiction. You will no longer neglect everyone else around us in hoping, in hopes of changing you. I've seen so many parents who just in some ways neglect their other children or their grandchildren or their own happiness or their own life because this one person, this controller is holding them captive. Here's the truth. The truth is that the only one who can change that person is God and themselves. He can bring change. He can bring healing. But you may not be able to. No matter how much you try. And at some point you may be enabling. Which leads me to takeaway number two. If you don't like what you have. Then change what you expect and what you accept. No one to draw the line in the sand. I'm not going to allow you to talk to me that way anymore. I'm not going to allow you to manipulate me anymore. Take the focus off of other family members who deserve it and need it. You may have to say things like, uh, you may no longer physically or verbally abuse me. You can no longer take advantage of my sorrow or pain. You can no longer live here. I will no longer be held prisoner to guilt or fear. Now listen, they may blow up. They will be hurt. They don't want to change. But on the other side, there's something better for both of you. See, dysfunction never brings peace or joy. It never makes life better for you or the controller. You're not responsible to meet the demands of anybody but God. And only God can change that person and meet their every need. He, it's, it's not a sin to turn the controlling person over to him. Love them, pray for them, but set godly boundaries and give them to the Lord. As we close, I want to encourage all of us to seriously, seriously consider giving the control of our own personal lives over Jesus the one who can change anyone, the one who really does, the one who really does care, the one who has your best interest in mind, the one who left all of heaven and all of glory to come down here to spend time with you. I'd like to ask everybody to stand. Daryl started this last week, and I love it. Can everybody stand to your feet? I want to give you the opportunity to come to Christ. I can honestly say that I, I, I lay in bed a lot of nights and say, God, I want you to control my life. I love you and I worship and I adore you. And God, I know that you love me so much. You sacrifice your son and you know what's best. I get ready to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And I want to give you an opportunity, if you've never done this, just to call upon the Lord as your Savior. Head bowed and eye closed. Just where you stand or where you're watching 
just to say something like this to God, something like, God, the best I know how, I believe you loved me. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I want to I ask you to be my Savior. Something like that, God, I, I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God, I want to give my life over to you. Nobody's looking around. If you've done that, I just want to kind of personally pray for you. Could you slip your hand up and put it down? That's something you've done here this morning. Just call, amen, amen, amen. Just call, amen. Just call upon the name of the Lord. There is no one who loves you more. Don't give control over to someone. Give control over to the Lord. Let me pray. Father, you've called us to love the world around us. But you've also called us to stand strong. You've called us to know our boundaries. You've called us to set a plan in motion and to live by it. We love you. We worship you. We praise you. I thank you for those who even just this morning, just today, have just said, yes, I want to make Jesus my Savior. I want to call upon him. I want to give him control. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We love you and we adore you. In Christ's name, amen.